Please take a seat. Good evening, everyone. If we haven't met, my name is John. I'm one of the elders here at the church, one of the ministers in training. And we are delighted that you're here with us as we close our series through the book of Ruth. Can I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 4? That's on page 224 of the Bibles that you might have received when you came in. Hamish really helpfully prayed for the preaching of the Word, so we're just going to dive in. The the theme of our, our service this evening is that Jesus is our Redeemer. Redemption is also the the big theme of Ruth chapter 4 that we're about to read. But before I do, let me uh, explain a a couple of things. First, our, our aim this evening is to understand our redemption better and to stand in awe and give thanks and praise and live for the God who secured our redemption through the Lord Jesus. But secondly, let me explain what redemption meant for for Ruth and Naomi in their context some 3,300 years or so ago in Israel in a period of the judges. Over the last three weeks, we have joined a couple of grief-stricken and poverty-stricken widows Naomi from Bethlehem, who lost her husband and two sons, and Ruth the Moabite, Naomi's daughter-in-law. God permitted great suffering to come upon both women, but we have also seen how time and time again, in the darkest of days, God has been faithfully committed to and at work for the good of his people. Even through Naomi's initial running away from God, her questioning God's goodness, the number of apparent obstacles in the way of Naomi and Ruth having a safe and happy ending, God has been at work. God has been working through all the tiny little details of the story to show his kindness to both Ruth and Naomi. One of the chief ways he has done that It is through a man called Boaz. Boaz generously provided them both with with food. There was famine at the time, and these were also poverty-stricken widows. And we learned that Boaz, crucially, is a close relative of Naomi, which means that, legally speaking, he can be a redeemer to them. Well, what does that mean? Well, for that, we need to do a a short historical law lecture and consider the Leveret Marriage Israel Act of 1300 BC. In this culture, if you were a woman who lost your husband, you were in serious trouble. In this society over 3,000 years ago, husbands were the ones that brought in all the income for the family. Therefore, widows ended up being very poor and destitute. When a husband died, it was almost like a a whole family was wiped out. God in Deuteronomy 25 put a law in place to help care for widows, and it was called leveret marriage. In short, the nearest male relative to a husband who died 
would have to marry their brother's widow. He would care and provide for her. He would rescue the family and keep the deceased brother's name going. If you were married and you lost your husband, if he had a brother, they were expected to marry you. Now, that sounds objectively weird to us, doesn't it? Poor Hillary, my wife. Um, my brothers are, well, the less said the better. Um, but back then, marriage really wasn't about romance. It's not that romance wasn't there or important, but it was more about family and preserving family. And so this relative who could marry the widow was known as the redeemer. To redeem means to, to purchase, to buy back, to restore Boaz has the ability to restore both Ruth and Naomi to get the family back. And last week, we discovered that he's willing, but there's a problem. We left last week on a cliffhanger. There's another closer relative to Naomi uh, than Boaz. This guy comes first in terms of familial proximity, and so he has first refusal when it comes to redeeming Ruth and Naomi. Boaz wants to make sure that, that Ruth and Naomi are cared for, and he's going to see if this guy is up for it. We saw at the end of chapter 3 that Boaz will not rest until this matter is resolved. Chapter 4, we pick up immediately where we left off. It's the next morning, and so we read chapter 4 and beginning at verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead 
may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him, laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. This little courtroom drama that includes the exchanging of shoes is part of the larger story of redemption that we see throughout the Bible. I think the author wants us to, to look beyond Ruth and Boaz. Let me try and show that really briefly. In verses 1 to 12, we see Boaz redeeming Ruth. Then the idea of redemption broadens a little bit. In verses 13 to 16, the, the focus becomes Naomi and her being redeemed by her grandson, Obed. And so we see that redemption is bigger than just the law. It involves restoration for Naomi. But then it gets even bigger in, in verses 18 to 22. The chapter finishes describing the lineage of Obed and his grandson, who is David. David is the guy in Israel's history. He eventually becomes king in Israel. He's described as a man after God's own heart. And he is like a redeemer for the whole nation of Israel. He would lead Israel out of the dark time of the judges and into a time of faithfulness to God. But even David knew that there was something even bigger than to come. We know that because we just sang Psalm 130, where David speaks about Israel being redeemed not from the dark time of the judges, but redeemed from their sin. And that redemption came not just for Israel, but for the whole world through David's even greater descendant, the, the Lord Jesus. And so this tiny little weird court case in Bethlehem 3,000 years ago is part of our story. 
and the story of redemption of the whole world through Jesus. We can trace that redemption back to the days of Ruth and Boaz. So let's dive back into the story. We're going to hopefully learn or relearn four things about redemption. And firstly, that redemption is costly. Did you notice how the, in the story itself, the, the drama intensifies? Uh, Boaz knows that there's someone else who can come and redeem Ruth. So he gets this unnamed guy and he gathers 10 of the elders of the city to meet at the city gate. That was the place of business. Uh, and did you notice that the narrator really wants us to know that they were, they were sitting down? That was the posture of business back then. And once everyone is gathered and court is in session, Boaz says to him, you're a close relative of Elimelech who's passed away, so by right, you can redeem his land, you can buy back and own his land. This unnamed character must have been thinking, brilliant, free land, what a sweet deal that's come from out of nowhere. And so he says at the end of verse 4, I will redeem it. If you don't know how the story is going to end, and you've been tracking the story from the beginning, your response to verse 4 should be, no, this is not what's meant to happen. We're Team Boaz and have been since episode 2. Who is this guy who's introduced in the season finale? If Naomi and Ruth were present, and, and we don't know if they were, but I imagine that their, their hearts must have sunk a little. But, but thankfully, Boaz is, is pretty shrewd. He'd have made a great lawyer solely on the merits of his next move. He says to the unnamed guy in verse 5, and we read, The day you buy the field from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. In other words, oh, by the way, here's the, the small print. Not only will you get the land of Elimelech, that's the name of Naomi's late husband, but you have to marry his daughter-in-law, Ruth. And did you notice how Boaz phrased it as well? Ruth the Moabite? This was at a time when Israelites hated Moabites. And so, suddenly, this deal doesn't seem so sweet. You see, unlike Boaz, this guy doesn't care about Ruth and Naomi. He doesn't really know them. Did you notice what he does care about, though, in verse 6? Uh, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. He cares about his bank account. The unnamed man doesn't want to do this because marrying Ruth would be too much of a financial burden. He checked his banking app, quickly called his accountant, and it was simply too costly. Why? Well, two extra mouths to feed for starters. He's got Ruth and Naomi, who he has to provide for, Life back then wasn't as it is today. These women were really dependent on a husband's income and protection, and it would fall on whoever redeems them to do just that at their expense. 
But crucially, one of his duties as redeemer would be to have a child with Ruth to try and continue the family name of Elimelech. If Ruth has a child, not only is the baby a third mouth to feed, but according to the Leveret Marriage Act, that child would inherit everything and not the redeemer. And, and so if he takes this on, it will come at a huge cost to himself. And so at the end of verse 6, our unnamed friend says, no thank you, it's too expensive, it's all yours, Boaz, you go for it. And at this point, we want to cheer. We know Boaz. He's great and he's a godly guy. He's described as a worthy man, which is only further evidenced by the fact that he's willing to pay the cost. He doesn't care that his reputation will be damaged for marrying a Moabite. He wants to redeem whatever the cost. Now, in order to make the, the deal legally binding, they go through the culturally fascinating ceremony of handing over your shoe. We, we don't know what it means. It would appear that the original readers of the book of Ruth wouldn't have known what it meant either, which is why the narrator has to explain the practice in, in verse 7. Some make the case that it probably symbolized something similar to what we today mean when we use the expression stepping into someone else's shoes. It could be something like that, as if Boaz is saying, I'm stepping into your shoes and I'm, I'm paying the price you should be paying to redeem them. And so that's what Boaz does, and he pays to redeem Ruth. Her redemption is in the hands of a kind and worthy person which is exactly what Naomi wanted from the beginning, for Ruth to be cared for and provided. And now she's found it in the hands of one of the few good and godly men in all of Israel at this time. What's this got to do with us? Well, everything. Remember that this is part of a bigger story of the redemption of the whole world. Where, where we find ourselves without God is in serious trouble. We might not be a, a widow or in abject poverty, but here's the reality of every single human being. We are all prisoners. We are all slaves to our sinful nature. We are sinners who every day ignore the God who made us, and it's like we're hopelessly trapped and there's nothing we can do. Romans chapter 3 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ruth and Naomi's inability to provide for themselves, their inability to redeem themselves from their destitute state is a picture of our inability to save ourselves from our sin. The Bible makes the case and proves that we are unable to be declared righteous before God by our own efforts. Left to ourselves, like the two widows in our story, we are without hope. However, this sorry state 
is exactly what God has come to redeem us from. He's come to rescue us from the consequences of our sin. He's come to buy us back to him no matter what the cost. That that verse in Romans 3 continues. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Did you hear what the, the cost was for our redemption? The apostle Peter makes it abundantly clear. He says in 1 Peter 1, for you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That the cost to save and to redeem you and me from our sin was immense. We can't pay it. We're the problem. But for God to pay that price, it cost him so much. In order for you and I to be redeemed from our sin, God the Father had to send his son, Jesus, the perfect one, to die for our sins in our place. So Jesus, as it were, steps into my shoes to pay my price. He suffers for my sin. He dies for my failures. That was the cost to save me. The blood of the one that God loved more than anyone else in existence. What this means is that you might be in a a situation like the one Naomi was in back in chapter 1, possibly asking yourself, does God even care about me? Does he really love me when all these things are going on in my life? What could God do for you to prove that he does love you? What's the most precious thing in the universe that he could give to show you that he really cares about you? Is it not the blood of his own son shed for you? God redeemed you not with silver or gold, but through the sacrifice of his son Jesus on the cross. There is nothing more precious or costly than that. But redemption isn't just about dealing with our sins so that we can be forgiven. Here's the the second thing we see in our text. Redemption means being part of God's family. Family is so significant to this whole story, isn't it? It's massive in this chapter. Ruth has has been redeemed back into Elimelech's family. The, The family line is going to continue because of Boaz's redemption. But it's even bigger than that. Not only has this foreign Moabite woman been redeemed back to Elimelech's family, she's been redeemed into God's family. Do you notice what the the elders say in verse 11? 
Having heard a, a number of verdicts um, being read out by the jury in, in my career, I can guarantee you that I have never experienced one that ended with a sing-song. But we read in verse 11, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And verse 12, and may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. We might vaguely recognize some of those names as Old Testament characters, but what the elders are saying is hugely significant. Essentially, they're praying or singing, may Ruth be like Rachel and Leah. Who are Rachel and Leah? Well, the nation of Israel was made up of 12 tribes, and they were named after the 12 sons of Rachel and Leah, and so they're called the house of, of Israel. In other words, would Ruth be like the mothers of Israel? It's just wild, a Moabite. And not only that, they're asking that the offspring of Boaz and Ruth be like Perez. Who is Perez? Uh, he was actually Boaz's ancestor, and if you, if you wanted to read his story, it's found in Genesis 38. It's not a nice story. In fact, it's a, a very horrible and sad story. But what's important is that it's a, a similar sort of situation to what's going on here in terms of a relative having to marry a widow. But, but crucially, Paris's father was Judah. And Judah was told that from his line would come God's king who would rule forever. In other words, what the elders are saying is, would Ruth be like the mother of Israel and would she bring about the kingdom of God? She, this poor foreign woman who would have been a nobody in the eyes of many of the people of Israel, has been brought into the family of God. And not only that, she's a significant part of God's redemption plan that's why if you turn to Matthew chapter 1 and look at the genealogy of Jesus, you would see the name Ruth as hugely significant because at that time, women didn't make it into genealogies, only men. And yet in Matthew 1, there are four women mentioned and one of them is Ruth. She is part of the family of God, the outsider brought in, the humble exalted. That's what God does to those he redeems. He doesn't just deal with your sin, but by his grace, he welcomes you into his family so that you can say of God, you are my father, and so that you can say of Jesus, you are my king and my older brother. The redeemed of the Lord are those who have been adopted. And so when we talk about salvation, it's like God as Father welcoming a wayward child back home. 
To, to be redeemed is to be adopted, something J.I. Packer speaks of as the highest privilege that the gospel offers. The whole idea of adoption shows what God's love is like. It's not something he's obliged to do. He chooses to do it at the cost of Jesus' shed blood. I don't know what your experience of family has been like. But what I do know is that if you're in Jesus, you are God's child, and he is the ultimately good father. He's so good, and he cares like no other. Just turn back to point one for the evidence of the amazing love for you. The more we get that, the more it will change us day by day, because here's the, the third thing about redemption. Redemption means restoration. Isn't it interesting, if you've been following the story, that it, it doesn't end with Ruth and Boaz's happily ever after. It ends with Naomi. Her story arc is incredible. The change that happens in this woman who initially ran away from God, who was crushed and embittered by her suffering, and now she looks back and sees how God has provided and been good. From, from famine to, to fullness, she was childless, and from leaving three graves behind in Moab, we read in verse 13 that Ruth and Boaz marry, and the Lord gives them a child. Naomi picks this child up in her arms, and the women around her celebrate, and they praise God, and they speak of this child as being Naomi's redemption. Is that a really odd thing to say, don't you think? The Redeemer is Boaz. He's redeemed them. He's the one that's ensured that Elimelech's family line continues. But, but they see this as, as more than just a, a legal thing. It's like this child has given Naomi a, a, a new lease of life. This child is going to protect her, care for her. And according to verse 15, he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. Having this child in her arms means joyful restoration for Naomi. Chapter 1 closes with a woman who is empty, and chapter 4 closes with a woman who is full. And what a wonderful daughter to have Ruth is. Many refer to this book as a love story between Boaz and Ruth. However, the, the only time that the word love is mentioned in the book is in verse 15. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. As Naomi stands there with this child in her arms, she must be seeing the, the kindness of God, that kindness that she couldn't see in chapter one, and it just silences her. I was helped to see by, by somebody else as we were studying this passage. Naomi always has something to say in the book of Ruth. And yet here, her silence is deafening. Please don't mishear. Um, don't mishear me. This doesn't mean that if you are, are suffering, 
that God will show his kindness to you by removing that suffering? It's a struggle. Life is confusing. It's hard. And to be honest, we we often don't know what God is doing in our individual situations. We often do feel like Naomi in chapter 1 and that God is against us. If we're to know his goodness and experience restoration, we need to look at God's Redeemer. Look at the one who has brought us redemption With eyes fixed on Jesus, day by day, we will be renewed because we have renewed hope, renewed meaning, renewed purpose and joy. Jesus fills, and that will sustain us through our lives until old age, should we get that far. That the more time we spend with Jesus the more I'll know that my pain isn't pointless. A friend of mine in the space of the last year has experienced bereavement, a cancer diagnosis in their family and another family member going through a really tough time. They told me they're a Christian that they're really struggling to see God in all of it. I can't guarantee this friend that Their experience will be like Naomi's, of full restoration in this life. But but sometimes, by God's grace, we get glimpses. We can look back on our lives, good times and dark times, and can see how God has cared for and provided for us. We, We can see the gift of the church family he gave us in those times. People like Ruth sent to sustain us and comfort us and show kindness to us. If you're in a place where you can't see God's kindness because of the the dark times, here's the promise. You will be restored. And that is our our final point on our redemption. Redemption provides certain hope for the future. Why does this book end with a genealogy? Um, The reason this book ends with a list of names, I guess, is so that people reading it will know that this was part of God's future plan For, for them to bring about David, the king who would redeem Israel, and for us, for the whole world, to bring about Jesus, the redeemer of all who trust in him. That The narrator ends by getting us to, to step back and see that there's a big story, a big master plan, and every little detail that happens in this world is part of that master plan of salvation that God is working. As we close Ruth, we are drawn forward to the future, even beyond David and to the Lord Jesus. And here's the thing about Jesus. Even though he died for our sins, three days later, he rose from the grave to show that he has conquered death that he's alive, 
still reigning. And our redemption is sealed and secure with him. Our redemption from sin is secure and an absolute certainty because of Jesus' absolutely certain resurrection from the dead. The end of Ruth is God's king. The end of our story, the end of the story of humanity is God's death-conquering king, the Lord Jesus who one day will see. You've maybe heard of Job, a character in the Old Testament, uh, a man who also experienced unimaginable suffering and who was also a godly man. He spoke in several speeches whilst afflicted by excruciating pain, pain and in one of those speeches he, he said this, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, how my heart yearns within me. Job had this amazing insight because our Redeemer does live and we will see him Redemption is certain. You will see Jesus, and nothing will stop that from happening. When we make stupid decisions, God is still working. When we journey into the unknown to follow Jesus, God is working. In chance meetings, God is working. In poverty, in hardships, in persecution, God is working. When obstacles appear, he is working. No matter what, he is working his plan of redemption. And the promise given in Romans 8.28, which says, In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In the end, it will all work out for good. Even if we can't see it now, the the Redeemer has won. The blood has been shed. He has risen from the dead. If you're trusting in Jesus, you are redeemed. You are safe. And God has the last say. It's not emptiness. It's fullness. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are redeemed through Jesus from a life of sin and darkness. Thank you that Jesus is our King and our brother who enables us to be part of your family. Help us to hold on to these truths so that we can be renewed day by day and holding on to the promise of our perfect future. We, we don't know how, we'll, how it will end up being like in this life, but we do know what the ultimate future will be like with Jesus, God's King, 
and his redeemed people singing around his throne and celebrating his victory over sin and death. Help us to hold on to Jesus. In our Redeemer's name we pray. Amen. We're going to close.